We are getting into some pretty hearty stuff tonight, okay? Uh, we're turning the corner in the book of Acts, and we're really turning the corner onto something, uh, onto a really heavy topic. Um, as the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the church in Acts, we have seen amazing things happen so far this semester. And uh, even with the, with the fact, excuse me, that Jesus was crucified as an enemy of the state, things are yet going pretty well for this new Jesus movement, right? People are coming to believe in Jesus. Miracles and signs are being performed by the apostles and now the deacons. And in spite of the fact that their leader was, again, executed as an enemy of the state, they're still meeting in public. Some things have happened. There's been bumps in the road, but they're still out in the open proclaiming Jesus Christ. And people are coming to faith. And this new Jesus movement has been catching fire in the first part of the books of Acts. But, but, the people who have power and who are influential are growing more and more determined to shut down this Jesus movement. And the story we're going to look at today, we come to the collision of the established religious political system and the new movement of what God was doing by his spirit in the church. What's interesting about the Jesus movement that makes it different than things like Catching Fire or the Force Awakens um, uh, movements is that the Jesus movement is not a movement of violent resistance. It is a movement of spirit-empowered, radical love. And as this church and this movement of Jesus people are catching fire, it comes to a head in a collision course with the established system. And that's what we're going to read about tonight in the story of Stephen, a true witness of the kingdom of Christ. We're going to be reading uh, Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 8 to uh, 7.2. And then we're going to take a a break where, because Stephen is going to give an exceptional speech which you should go home, read, and potentially memorize because it gives the entire history of salvation from the beginning of the Bible right up to Jesus. It's amazing, but we're not going to read that whole thing because it takes up the entire chapter 7. We're just going to jump right on to the uh, conclusion of his speech in 751 uh, into the first few verses of chapter 8. Are you ready to hear his story? Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power. He performed wonders and signs among the people. But opposition arose among the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as they were called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, also from the provinces of Sicilia and Asia. They began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up to the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so, they secretly persuaded some men to say, Oh, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred 
up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom that Moses handed down to us. They were all looking intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The high priest said to him, Are these charges true? To which Stephen replied, You stiff-necked people, that's verse 53, or 51. Your hearts And your ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You received the law that was written and given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Look, heaven is opened. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they cover their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and they began to throw stones at him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were throwing stones at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after he said that, he died. And Saul approved Of killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged both men and women and put them in prison. This is the word of the Lord. On that day, Stephen became the first martyr of the church. 
Martyr is a word that we use frequently today to describe someone who dies for a cause, but martyr actually comes from a Greek word, uh, martus, uh, which means witness. When Jesus says to his disciples at the beginning of Acts, you will be my witnesses, it says, you will be my martures, my martyrs. Stephen was the first, but not the last. No, the text tells us the beginning of a great persecution broke out against the church that day, a systematic program of oppression and harassment and violence against Christians going house to house, dragging men and women into prison to stand sham trials just like they did with Stephen. Sitting here at GV in relative safety and security with the freedom to assemble and worship in a place like this, it is so far from what most of us experience. I mean, even when we feel like our faith is somehow being infringed because of a professor or because of some kind of uh, law or anything like that. It's hard to put that alongside of what happened to Stephen, right? Most of us have never experienced a systematic program of oppression, harassment, and violence simply because we're Christians. Persecution that broke out against the church that day still happens. It's never stopped. It changes. It has different forms and shapes and intensity, but the systematic persecution of people because they believe and follow the ways of Jesus Christ has never stopped since that day. I bet you can think of some places in the world today where you've heard about this. In reality, This is the daily life of many of our brothers and sisters in various parts of the world. The World Evangelical Alliance, in partnership with Open Doors International, which is a uh, human rights group, they collect data and stories from Christians around the world who are suffering under systematic levels of oppression, harassment, and violence. And here's what they found. They found that 70 million Christians have been killed for their faith since the church's founding. And 65% of those are in the 20th century. That's from a report from Barrett and Johnson, which is peer-reviewed. More Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than all other centuries put together, says Paul Marshall of the Hudson Institute. And right now, at this moment, 400 million live under non-trivial restrictions on religious liberty. Those are staggering numbers. If we want to break that down into something even more manageable, every month, this is what their data has found. 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. And 772 different acts of violence are committed against people simply because they know, follow, and profess Jesus Christ. It takes on all kinds of forms. There's a a list of uh, some of the things that they would include as different forms of persecution. And persecution happens not only to Christians. Some of you maybe remember when ISIS was invading different parts of Iraq that there was a lot of concern not just for Christians but for Yazidi people, right? Christians aren't the only people 
who are persecuted because of their faith. But here's something that's really interesting. The International Society for Human Rights, uh, in their own peer-reviewed data, have found that of all persecuted people in the world, 80% are Christians. If you want to break down the data, if there are 400 million people being persecuted for religious reasons, if you take 80% of that, 320 of our brothers and sisters are persecuted because they profess Jesus Christ. That's the number of people that live in our country. So take the whole population of the United States persecuted because they're Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear data like this, it overwhelms me completely. I have no idea what to do with that information. Like, we could send a mission trip, but that wouldn't help. We could send 10 mission trips. We could send 1,000 mission trips, and we wouldn't even make a dent in 320,000 or million people. But interesting thing. The International Institute for Religious Freedom, which is a scholarly research-based organization that studies these issues and studies particularly religious freedoms and persecutions around the world. In their data collection, what they have found, they've asked Christians, what do you want the Christians of the West in free society to know? Two things. There's more than that. Top two things. Don't forget us. Pray for us to have courage. Like I read that and I start to feel ashamed. Because I would want, I'd be thinking, pray for us to get out. Pray for us to have relief. Pray for us to to get away from this place. That's not what they ask. Pray for us to have courage. We can do that. Can we do that? I think we can do that. I think we can remember them. And we can pray. We can pray for them. Now, my own impulse, my struggle, uh, and, you know, this is, I guess this is confession time. Uh, it's, it's a struggle for me to pray a lot of the time. I, I have to fight to pray. Because um, I think uh, I want to do something, right? I'm a little more too much like Elvis, you know, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. Right? Let's do something. And then I read uh, from some of my spiritual uh, mentors. This is one of them, uh, John Ortberg, who's a pastor and an author. And this is uh, The Life You've Always Wanted, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People, and uh, it's on my top ten list. So if you're looking for a book to read, um, this is one of the books that helps me practice tuning in to who the Holy Spirit is outside of the Bible, obviously. right? Top ten outside of the Bible, this one's on there. Let me tell you what he says about prayer. History belongs to the intercessors. Those who believe and pray the future into being. History does not belong to the powerful, the wealthy, the rulers, the armies, the corporations, or the global media empires. What they do on their own apart from God may look impressive for a time, but the day will come when all merely human actions will be tossed forgotten on the ash heap of the past. History belongs to the intercessors 
to those who believe and pray the future into being. Intercession is what Jesus is doing right now. As Romans 8 says, it's Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. His teaching ministry lasted three years. His intercessory ministry has been going on for 2,000. The Bible's teaching on prayer leads overwhelmingly to one conclusion. Prayer changes things. So let's pray. Let's pray for God's work. Let's pray specifically. The uh, Open Doors International Organization puts out a top ten list every year of the places in the world where Christians are most persecuted. I'm actually going to show a quick video of that right now, and they're going to highlight the, the places in the world that we're going to pray for together tonight. So let's check out the video. For the last 20 years, Open Doors has been producing the World Watch List, which ranks the top 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. This well-researched report is compiled by a group of experts audited by an outside organization specializing in religious freedom, and it is credited as the best and most authoritative report of its kind. Through on-the-ground interviews and data analysis, this list provides an accurate picture of the difficulties persecuted Christians experience around the world. The World Watch List looks at and measures the types of persecution believers experience from the government, community, and even their own families. It also looks into the restrictions Christians face in their private lives and their ability to meet and worship with other Christians. But the list is not just numbers and figures. It represents those who have decided to follow Jesus, no matter what the cost may be. In many countries, believers encounter intimidation, prison, or in some countries, even death. Persecution is a daily reality for millions of believers across the world. In 2014, Christians experienced intense persecution in a number of countries. In North Korea, which is ranked number one for 13 years in a row, it is estimated that 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned for their faith. Iraq moved to number three on the list and has seen a mass exodus of Christians as a result of the Muslim extremist group, the Islamic State. It is estimated that 140,000 Christians have been displaced as a result. Nigeria's rank rose to number 10 for the first time ever. It is estimated that there have been an average of 10 people killed daily by the Islamic extremist group Boko Haram, and most are Christians. We invite you to learn more and pray for the millions of believers around the world where persecution is a reality. Can we do this? You ready to pray? Here's what we're going to pray. We're going to pray three different ways tonight. Um, We're going to pray for North Korea. We're going to pray for Syria and Iraq together because they're three and four on the list and the issues are very close. Um, And then we're going to pray at the end of the list of the top ten for Nigeria. We're going to pray different ways, though. We're going to pray for North Korea. We're going to have a, um, Seth and Janine are going to come up, and they're going to offer prayer scripture. They're just going to pray scripture 
for the Christians of North Korea. And so you're invited to join them in that prayer. So after they pray one of those scriptures, they'll be quiet for just a minute if you want to add in your own prayer to the Lord. But we're going to bring scripture um, to the Lord on their behalf. And then we're going to move into praying for Syria and Iraq. And we're going to pray in a call and response prayer with that. So there will be someone up here that uh, leads the prayer, and then there will be sections on the screen that say leader, and there will be sections on the screen that say all. That's you. Right? You guys do the all part, right? And then, uh, then we're going to get into groups, uh, small groups, and we're going to pray. We're going to some prayer points for the people of Nigeria living uh, under the terrible um, reality of Boko Haram. So three different ways to pray for uh, four different countries, uh, and we're going to do this all together, trusting that history does, in fact, belong to us who are intercessors. You ready? All right, Janine and Seth, why don't you come up? Father, here are prayers for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. We pray that they will stand firm in their faith. We pray that they will look that they will not be afraid, but will trust in the Lord. We pray that they will not seek revenge, but trust you to do justice. We pray that they will be able to love their enemies. We pray that they will bless those who have persecuted them. We pray that they will persevere under tribulation. We pray that you will give them joy even in the midst of their suffering. That they will keep their eyes on Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, Savior of the world, to set your people free. In Syria and Iraq, the, uh, again, folks who study these things say that this is the worst, uh, Syria particularly, is the worst displacement of religious communities that uh, we've seen in recent times. And you saw on the video that at least 140,000 Christians, and there are the numbers of Christians in Iraq. Christianity has literally been in Iraq from the beginning, uh, continuously. Through all of the wars, all of the revolutions, all of the change, the Christian church has stayed in Iraq and Syria bearing witness to the gospel, and it is being systematically eradicated. Uh, in fact, it's so bleak, and it, it's been so hard for them that uh, a, a secular news agency, like 60 Minutes, just did a report not long ago um, on the, the plight of Christians uh, in Iraq particularly, but it's also true for Christians in Syria. And uh, we're going to see just a short clip um, from that 60 Everything Minutes. Everything from us, but they cannot to take the God from our hearts. They cannot. Nicodemus Sharaf is the Archbishop of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Mosul, one of about 10,000 Christians who fled the city. We found him living as a refugee in the Kurdish capital, Erbil. He said ISIS fighters were already inside Mosul when he escaped. I don't have any time to take anything. He told me, Do you have just five minutes. Just I take it five books. They are very old. Among them, this Aramaic manuscript. He told us it was written 500 years ago and said he left behind hundreds more, older than this one, Christian relics that may never be recovered. I think they burn all the books, and we have books, 
from the first century of the Christianity. You had books from the first century. Of the Christianity. When I remember this, I cannot do it. From the beginning of the Christianity, this is the first time we cannot to pray in our churches. As it seeks to erase Christianity from the landscape, the Islamic State allows no Christian symbols. It just released these photographs, which show the desecration of the church at what is believed to be the monastery of Mar Gorgas, just north of Mosul. And nothing is sacred. ISIS blew up this mosque shortly after taking control here. It's a site holy to both Christians and Muslims, because the Old Testament prophet Jonah was said to be buried inside. Just like the Nazis marked the property of Jews, Christian homes in Mosul have been marked with this red symbol. It's the Arabic letter N for Nasara, an early Islamic term for Christians. When ISIS puts it on your home, you either convert to Islam pay an extortion tax, or face the sword. Everything from, from us. Are you ready to pray for our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria? Let's bring them to the Lord. AJ is going to come up and he's going to lead us uh, in a prayer. This is a call and response prayer. So again, he's the leader and you all... God of compassion, hear the cries of the people of Syria and Iraq. Bring healing to those suffering from the violence. Bring comfort to those mourning the dead. Strengthen Syria and Iraq's neighbors in their care and welcome for refugees. Convert the hearts of those who have taken up arms and protect those committed to peace. God of hope, inspire leaders to choose peace over violence and to seek reconciliation with enemies. Inspire the church around the world with compassion for all the peoples of Syria and Iraq. And give us hope for a future of peace built on justice for all. We ask this through Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace and Light of the World. The uh, last group we're going to pray for together uh, tonight is uh, the Christians living in Nigeria. Uh, you'll see a few stats put up there. Um, in 2011, 350 churches destroyed by the terrorist group Boko Haram. 2012, 900 Christians killed, and it's just been escalating since 2014. Uh, the first six months of 2014, uh, over 2,000 Christians killed, and uh, you've probably seen or remember the girls who were taken from a Christian school and are still uh, unaccounted for. Uh, and just today, a report came out out of Nigeria of uh, Boko Haram uh, suicide bomber going into a refugee camp of people who had become refugees because of Boko Haram. They went into the refugee camp and exploded a suicide bomb, killing 50 and wounding another 70. The Atlantic magazine says that... Uh, Boko Haram is by far the most violent terrorist group in the world. They surpass ISIS on all standards. Um, and so we are going to pray for our brothers and sisters who are living under that oppression uh, in the country uh, of Nigeria.
But in this, in, for this one, we're going to pray in groups. So we've been praying all together. Now we're, we're going to have a little symphony of different prayers going on. So get, we're going to get in a group of four. And then there are four prayer points on this next slide. And my encouragement to you, if you want to go ahead and throw that up, uh, my encouragement would be for each one of you in the group, if, you're, if you feel okay to do that, each one of you in the group to pray um, for one of those points. Um, and if you're saying, I don't know about praying out loud in front of a bunch of other people, I've never done that before, um, that's okay too. If you could just say that and say, I don't really feel like I want to be able to pray out loud so that we make sure we cover um, all of those different points um, for, our, uh, for Christians living in Nigeria. So get into uh, groups of four and... Uh, when you find your group, I'll start, us in a, I'll start the prayer, and then you guys join the concert. Okay? God, you are able to do something about this, and we know your heart longs for, for this kind of transformation to happen, the kind of prayers that we're offering tonight. And so we bring this to you, the only one who is truly able to bring about the change that our world needs. Say these words with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. Amen. Let's respond to God with this song. Give me Jesus.